Well, hello there. I'm Mr. B. I'm Lord Marcus. Welcome to the Film Dogs. Woof, woof, woof. Woof, woof. <laughs> We're here to talk about movies. We're also here to have a good time. And we hope you are too. We're already having a good time. And if you aren't, you chose the right podcast to listen to because we'll have the good time for you. In this episode, in part of our format, we want to talk to you about our watch list. So what are the films that we've literally been watching this week, last week, recently, depending on when we get to hit record, that we find compelling enough to say, (laughs) watch this, or, uh, man, I was blown away. I'm speechless. I need to talk to somebody about this. And I'm looking at the board right now of the films that we have on it, and I'm stoked. Yeah, it's been a pretty good couple of weeks of um, sort of casual midweek film watching. I mean, I mean, on the weekend. The, the point is we don't want to waste our, our precious time, the commodity of life, on bad cinema. That is the whole point of the podcast. Life is too short for bad cinema. And if I go and look back at both of our watch lists this week and last week, we've watched some amazing films that I go, um, man, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling inspired. Uh, I'm feeling, um, excited for the next movie I'm going to watch. I always want to watch films. And when I see them, I, I want them to be something that's amazing and transcends time. Yeah, I don't want to be like sort of stuck in saying, oh, the right stuff came out 50 years ago. Yeah. And it's the best film that's ever been made and nothing else is ever worth watching ever. No, like I want to be able to appreciate those things, but I love it when people are pushing the limits. I love a well-crafted film. I love great acting. I love great premise. And when all those ingredients come together to make your perfect pie, your perfect cherry pie from Twin Peaks, then... <laughs> Things just feel right in the universe, and that's what I'm after. All and is I, right. I'm hoping that um, every time I hit play or walk into a theater, that that's what happens. And luckily, yeah, like, as Mr. B has said, these last couple of weeks have been pretty fantastic um, for our watch list, and that's what we want to share with you this evening. Yeah, so we've we've chosen uh, 10 films, five films each currently, um, that we really enjoyed a lot of these we've either maybe shared, uh, most of these will have been shared separately. We've not viewed them together. And some of these might be ones that only Lord Marcus has watched and I'm getting a recommendation from him. Or uh, you got to tackle a, a, a weird horror film that I will never, ever watch. And, and then I might have a really weird drama that I've seen that you're like, mm, I don't think I'm going to watch that. But interesting that you watched that with Mrs. B. So we, we've got a lot of good movies to choose from. So I'll let you open the floor. What's the first film you want to talk about that you watched uh, recently? The first film I'd like to discuss this evening is A Ghost Story mm. by the director David Lowry. It's from 2017. Okay. It's starring Casey Affleck. Although... <laughs> Uh, There's going to be spoilers on this episode, um, but we're not going to try not to do like massive spoilers. Yeah. So, yeah, let's say that on the on the premise of our watch list episodes, we want to give you recommendations of movies to watch. We will do our best to not give away the whole movie because we want you to watch it. Um, But we will talk about the film briefly. So uh, it does star Casey Affleck and it does star Rooney Mara, but she's not in it a terrible whole amount. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene she has a famous scene where she's eating some pie. It, it's a really long scene, but people exaggerate. It's not eight minutes. It's like four. It's like it's a four minute scene of her just eating pie. It, it feels like eight <laughs> minutes, maybe. And and out of context, I I love that you're like there's a four minute scene of someone eating pie that a lot of people talk about. And you're correct. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, that's a, like you, you need to understand because like the title might imply that it's a horror movie, it's a ghost story, it's a haunted house story. It's really not. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it's no kind of 
uh, anyway, so Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck is in this film, yes. but you only see his face very sporadically because for most of the movie, he's got um, he's wearing a white sheet over his entire body. Yeah, that, I mean, you've got to be blind to not know that, I guess. Yeah, like even the color, yeah. like the and poster art. And if you're blind, you're not you're not watching movies, anyways. No offense to the blind, but on the cover in the trailer, Casey Affleck is wearing a sheet. Yeah. So and the movie's called a ghost story. It might sound like, oh, well, how great could a movie where the dude's just wearing um, a sheet? Yeah. And there's a real, there's kind of a, uh, it's probably not much to do with the actor, but the way the mm-hmm. cinematographer and the camera work uh, takes care of his presence in the scene. And it, like, yeah. it, it, this white sheet's in every single scene. Mm-hmm. And it's so impactful and it's so powerful. And I like it's, I am not eloquent enough to, state in words what he was able to do visually yeah on how beautiful of of like just everything so again it's sort of in that lighthouse academy ratio it's very square like it would fit on your old 1973 rca television and i'll just say this that it touches on what draws a soul to remain behind after death because Obviously, uh, no spoiler here, a ghost is born when someone dies, so there's no ghost without death. Um, But what keeps that sort of soul anchored, um, perhaps through the ages and perhaps through all time and recycled time, and just the way that he's... There's, like, really so many scenes that don't even have any dialogue in them. Yeah. Like, it's just sort of the passing of time. Like, it's almost time-lapse. Yeah. uh, And the emotion of grief... I because I, I even took away with the effect of grief on people, and and the realization when someone is gone and you have lost someone and how that affects us. And so like, there's a lot of facial expressions on how that like, there's only really a couple of scenes of dialogue uh, that really don't have much to do with uh, Casey Affleck's part of the story. I guess it kind of does. You'd have to, you'd understand uh, upon watching it. Um, but the the score by Daniel Hart, um, you know, it, not incredible. only the score that it's so incredible, not only in sort of like the the classical music sense of yeah. score, but like yeah, uh, so not in the Casey traditional Aff- sense in the least. Casey uh, Casey Affleck's character is uh, like a songwriter, like a modern producer songwriter, mm-hmm. and he also takes care of those parts. And they're like they are really great songs and struggling. Uh, you would say struggling songwriter when you look at the yeah, but it was done so like it's uh, beautiful how uh, they do it. Man, it was I, I was blown away by the music. I was blown away by the cinematography. You know, I, I just I, it to be moved me like a five star. Like I gave it five stars. Like immediately, I knew I was watching one of my favorite films of all time. I loved it. And for like not a whole lot of dialogue and a dude in a white sheet just sort of standing around. Like the way the camera worked, like he's just like it's just so like rule of thirds is really hard in a square format. Uh, so it's like the rule of nines, man. Like they really they nailed the art direction on this um, so significantly, and it's a bit of a bummer of a film. But um, like if you can get caught up in the beauty of it and transcend past the the, the grief part of of the film, it's like. It's it's good grief. It's like catharsis. Correct. Um, yeah. It, it's an examination of 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 all time. It's not just like when we feel grief, it it tends to be in you know sort of these um and and the big scale just seconds. Mm-hmm. And this film explores like way beyond seconds and way beyond years and way beyond centuries. It's like it's uh, man. Have I, you watched Tree of Life? I'm not watching it. Um. So Terrence Malick. Uh, we won't talk about it, but uh, Tree of Life by T- Terrence Malick, uh, starring Brad Pitt. Th- this reminded me a lot of that film in a mirror aspect. I found them very related, and one told maybe the sadder side, like the true sadder side, a ghost story. Um, but both are very, very moving. I I watched a ghost story probably the next day after you watched it. I think strictly on your recommendation and and you raving about the film, and uh, it was a film that I had Mrs. B watch as well. Um, 
and I think she was moved by it as well. She didn't enjoy it as much as me. Um, but I also, we, we have to make jokes about it is it's, it's hard to get her full attention at a movie. Um, so she, I'm kind of surprised that like, it seems to me like the kind of film that she would really like as a professional photographer because the camera work. Yeah. Like, because I'm also, I'm a photographer and I like, I pay attention to those types of things. So when somebody does like a fantastic job, because most everybody that's in the industry, like there, there is some bad camera work out out there every now and then. Most people do pretty good, but for them to be able to do this takes a really special touch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just can't say how enough about how gorgeous it was. Well, I think like on the recommendation of the genre and how you even in fit it is it. It's listed so strangely on Letterboxd. But it really is, you've got to scroll down for a bit. There's there's this one long line on Letterboxd that says, surreal and thought-provoking visions of life and death. That's kind of what... <laughs> well, yeah, I would say that's the most accurate description, right? Yeah. There. yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, but I found if you are in the mood for something thoughtful, like do you want to feel something? Totally. This is a film that you throw on when you go, I, I'm not feeling super low or super sad or super happy, but I feel like I want to feel and experience and, and think about life. And this film will cause you to do that. And it's like a sort um, of, it's almost, um, this would do it a disservice to like really take this completely at heart, but I, I'd kind of describe it almost as a two hour music video. Yeah. With yes. like, where they take some breaks for some dialogue. There's, there's a big lead up to a song being played in the film. And like you said, cathartic earlier. Yeah. They design it for, there is catharsis. There is a release that happens when you hear this song in this moment of the film, and it's so beautiful. It's so perfect. I've been listening to that song in the car on my ride to work. Yeah, you know, like it's, um, it's it was it's, a great it's a pr- film, pretty special film. Yeah, um, that is first on our watch list. I really recommend that one. Well, so my follow up to that is uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, The Lobster. And I knew I wanted to tackle this movie. And I don't, I don't say tackle because that feels like it was going to be hard for me to do it. Uh, I've wanted to watch uh, more of Yor- Yorgos's films, but they're not really a Mrs. B film. So it's something I have to really kind of do in my downtime or, or, or find the right time to where if she is there, is this something that she could watch? And now she wasn't able to catch this one, but I'm going to make her watch this one. And this was from 2015. And the cast is incredible. He he always knows how to put, put together a cast. We've got Colin Farrell, uh, Rachel Wise, uh, Olivia Coleman, Leah Seydoux, um, John C. Riley, Ben Wishaw. The the amount of people that make cameos they only they almost make cameos like how Wes Anderson can throw people in for a scene or two scenes, and you go, I know them. Wait, how did they get them in this? Oh wow, that was he's perfect. Kind of, he's kind of like. The adult surreal Wes Anderson and Wes Anderson yeah. is like child whimsical, family and, friendly, and, and Yorgos is a bit. More... I guess that's why I said tackle because yeah. it is it is adult. Uh, he he makes uh, he makes adult topic films, so it's not something that uh, unfortunately you're going to throw on with the whole family and go. I've got a great movie for movie night, guys. <laughs> you could throw it on, and somebody would be like, "You're no longer allowed to choose the film." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, this is for me for what I've seen of his filmography is the most um, palatable. And, and I say that mainly because he, he tends to be a bit, uh, Even the he likes to talk about sexual politics a lot and, and societal views of that and that sort of thing in his movies. And they can be uh, absurd. Uh, that is a great way to, to describe his movies. How do you describe poor things or how do you describe the lobster, I, the first word that came to mind is absurd. I'm a, uh, I am a big fan of the word absurd when it comes to cinema because the masters um, know how to do absurd right. And uh, like absurd really, it, it can be provoking and imaginative at the same time. And it can be like also maniacal. Yeah. And it can also be calming. Like there's like when you have this sort of absurd and it's very self-aware absurdity, like for me that like just produces – a very unique, often strange vibe, but they it just stimulates areas in your mind that um, aren't serviced by people that are holding your hand through a spoon-fed narrative at all. Um, 
yeah, Yorgos is really, really good at that. Well, and um, so famously for us film dogs, we use the app, the website, Letterboxd to compile a lot of our information to get recommendations and reviews and stuff. Um, and we would hi- highly recommend that you either join that community or download even the free version of it for logging the diary, building a watch list of films and rating films and stuff, and also getting information. So I love how they describe how genre like this. If you want to know what is this film, how would you describe this film and what are the genres? They've got it listed as a drama, comedy, romance, which 100% is. But even the synopsis is nails the film and doesn't give too much away. And I'm going to read that. And it just says, in a dystopian near future, single people, according to the laws of the city, are taken to the hotel where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or are transformed into beasts and then sent off into the woods. 100% literal what I just read. That is the movie. Now... I didn't give away the movie by reading that synopsis, but that is literally the movie. And it is incredible. It The dialogue, you watch Yorgos or you are forced to watch Yorgos finally by the film dogs or by somebody else because of the dialogue. Nobody does dialogue currently better than Yorgos. And... This movie is really a relationship, like it says, drama, comedy, romance, starring Colin Farrell and Rachel Wise, kind of, oh man, Olivia Coleman, Leah Seydoux. I've mentioned all these people before, and I, I can't give away the film because you just need to watch this movie. You need to watch it. Um, the struggle of Colin Farrell to find a partner and really our view in society. How does society view relationships? How do we view single people? How do we view monogamy? But even uh, the, the fact when it says turns people into beasts, literally, well, how do we view the people that we would judge outside of society who don't live according to our norms? It deals with a lot of social cues, even um, our thoughts of uh, sex and finding partners and truth. And what is truth? Is it who I am or is it who I tell you I am? Uh, and just that interpretation, the film tackles a handful of things and I was, um, it's shocking. There are some scenes that are utterly shocking. There are scenes that make you cry. There are scenes that I laughed so hard at. Um, this, this movie really contains a lot of emotions. And I, you'd almost say a satire on world relationships. I, I just, I've not seen a movie really like The Lobster. And when you start watching Yorgos's films, you understand really what kind of director he is because any other movie that he's made, you go, only Yorgos could make that. Well, they, and I uh, loved Poor Things, but now that I've seen The Lobster, I go, wow, like the, this dude has chops. I'll say this. I, I think that he uses a ratio of, of absurdity. And I, this is, I, I think... For a lot of films that really want to tackle the, the sort of absurd surrealism is that they give you 100%. And Yorkos sort of does like a 75-25 or an 80-20. Like he's, like he, I think he's still fine-tuning. Like he doesn't have a, a, an immensely large filmography. And I think poor, like, poor Things is him sort of accelerating the absurd. And, and so it's more like a 70-30. And The Lobster is sort of like a 75-25. And The Killing of a Sacred Deer is more like there, there's less... Um, there's less absurdity. There's there's a little bit, but it's more like ninety ten. But the masterful stroke of it is is that he's not giving you eighty percent absurdity. He's giving you twenty percent absurdity, and the rest of it's you know like just really masterclass, excellent writing, excellent cinematography. Like he's got a good cast and crew around him all the time. He's attracting great attention. Yeah. Um, but the moment, momentum behind him in his films, people want people yeah. want to work with him, and you know they, this is about the lobster, not poor things. But like Colin Farrell, 
worked with him twice. Um, probably won't mm -hmm. be the last time. Uh, Rachel Vice twice. You know, it's like he's you know sort of getting these repeat people that want to work with him over and over. Really liked it. Great film. Add the, add that to your watch list. Um, and and if you have watched his films and you're kind of going, oh man, I don't know if I could tackle another, or if you're wondering what kind of mood you are in, like I said earlier, I find this to be a, a more palatable uh, film for him. He, he, he is still 100% Yorgos in it, and there are some moments that are um, absurd. It is absurd. But I walked away more moved than not moved. Um, the story uh, is still stuck in my head. I'm replaying scenes. Um, yeah, you should watch it. Mark, Boom. Lord Marcus, what next hath you watched that we must watch as well? Now, this is a little, um, it's kind of on brand for me. Um, now, I hope that I might be able to talk you, Mr. B, into considering that this might be a film that you could watch. Okay. It is listed as a Sell horror, it. but it's not. Uh, Sell it to I, me. I don't think it's a real horror. Um, this, okay. This movie's called Possessor. Hmm. It's by Brandon Cronenberg. Oh. Yeah, Okay. Who we talked about recently on our yeah, favorite yeah, yeah. 23s. I had yeah, uh, sure. his film Infinity Pool on my list. Um, he, he, uh, again, a, a little bit in that sort of same category as your goes. He tackles the absurd. He's a little bit more on the, the darker side of absurd. Yeah, okay. Now, this is listed as a, a horror film, but let me tell you, it's more of a, it really, and I mean this, like I'm just not trying to get people to uh, watch secretly horror movies. It's more of a technical thriller. Um, so okay. I'll read the synopsis from Letterboxd as well. Yep. Tasha Voss, an elite corporate assassin, uses brain implant technology to take control of other people's bodies <laughs> to, to terminate high-profile targets. Wow. Okay. As she sinks deeper into her latest assignment, Voss becomes trapped inside a mind that threatens to obliterate her. So it's uh, it's very psychological. Um, okay. It yeah. deals with um, such concepts as dual identity, and uh, when they're talking about you know this sort of high level brain implant technology that allows uh, a person to sort of be taken over remotely, like in a video game. Yeah. Um, but like not in, in sort of that Ready Player One at all. Like it, this is very Cronenberg. It's it's very um, high concept sci fi. Uh, it's starring Chris Abbott, who was in Black Bear. He's been in It Follows. He's a little bit of like a A24 um, go-to guy. Uh, I think he was in First Man. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I liked him in Black Bear. Oh, he was That's amazing. what I know him from, I think. Yeah, and uh, I, different watch list. I, I've just really gotten into him. Based on the strength of this, I was like, um, I really kind of went more for the uh, the lead actress who was in a Nick Cage film uh, called Mandy. And Andrea Rosenborough. Okay. She did really good, but Chris Abbott was the one that blew me away. And the acting performances, uh, basically, uh, I'll tell you, she's the corporate assassin, and he's one of the people that sort of gets taken over. But, okay. his, but his mind is still present. So this guy has to pull two different roles. He ha It's kind of like in Face Off where mm -hmm. they had to you know sort of switch roles. Yep. But he has to do it like... Uh, there's not a dominant personality. Like the, the the personalities are wrestling for dominance to, on who to sort of take over, and there's some really surreal scenes. But man, like this guy, ha he has a style that is, I don't, it's like I favorably compare it to the most technical of Radiohead back in their heyday on the way that like he uses um, these glitched reversed sound effects uh, to go along with high strobe scenes or okay. super fast cuts when something psychological is supposed to be happening. And he's not, he's not holding your hand through it. He's just trying, like he really examines sort of uh, psychological damage. Um, and so if you consider psychological damage to be horror, then he adds a horror, but there's no, there's no supernatural entities here. Uh, the violence is the same as like a Joker style movie where you know, there is violence, but it's not the centerpiece. It's more about um, the ethical and moral implications and the dangers of what this technology might uh, bring upon someone. I like I would call it sci-fi thriller more than I would horror for sure. Yeah, okay. But I think because That's of what Brandon, it's sounding like because what Brandon Cronenberg, um, being David Cronenberg's son, is sort of like 
horror fans gravitate to that, but I would not say I would not classify this as a horror movie. I, but I loved it. Um, I really, I really liked it a lot. If you're a sci-fi person, put this on your list. Low budget, but yep. I think you would never know. It's, you've sold, so you've good. sold me on it. I will, I will add that to the watch list. Boom. Uh, which brings me, I think, actually a good segue to a surprisingly uh, another film that sounds of a similar ilk, uh, Sunshine by the legend Danny Boyle. Sir Danny Boyle. We're just Sir night Danny never, Boyle. Film dogs Dude, are going to be nighting people. Danny Boyle. Do you know who he is? Train spotting? Slumdog millionaire? Wait, what? Yes, he made both of those to what? Steve Jobs? Not Jobs. Steve Jobs, the better movie. Uh, w- the Beach? He's he's a legend. He is a legend, amazing filmmaker, uh, starring Cillian Murphy, uh, Rose Byrne, Chris Evans, Michelle Yao, Cliff Curtis, uh, Hiroyuki uh, Sanada as well, Benedict Wong. It's it's a strong younger cast, like all these people. So this is from 2007. So this is a quite younger Murphy. It's a noticeably younger Yao as well. Um, and even Chris Evans. Yeah, Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah. Evans is, and actually Evans is uh, amazing in this movie. He's really good. So Synapsis is, it's in the distant, near distant future. Um, it seems like it could have, it could be happening anytime now. The sun is dying and uh, a team of astronauts have been uh, sent to try and help restart it so kind of by launching some sort of explosion thing into it uh, they think they're going to try and be able to restart the sun if they don't they're fearing uh the world's going to become you know the antarctica first team fails so a new team is sent uh, and the team is kind of the cast that i just told you and it borders on a, a drama sci-fi but it really then hits tinges of thriller slash horror as well. It it is a it is a multi genre film for it being sci fi, and that's why I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, it's it's not Wait, like what? we talked about Ad Astra on the last pod. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not like that in any way, really. Well, to kind, me, kind of, ish. It kind of is. But it's not, not the thriller or horror aspect of it at all. Oh, that was 100% a relationship drama, is that Astra? Mm. Um, this one yeah, fair call. This one is 100% a semi-believable, not too distant future, almost horror, though. Their moment, uh, horror, thriller, I don't know. I, I, that's what I really liked about Boyle and... Um, he didn't write this one, actually. Alex Garland. Garland wrote it, which was a reason that I was like, oh, Boyle, he can not, he's less miss than he is hit. Like, he makes some major hits. Um, but it, it's, it's such an interesting them coming together to make this movie in 2007. I don't feel like a lot of people talked about this movie to me or t- Here's told th- me about it here's what i think is like uh the world was primed to be taken over by the mcu in 2007 mm. that that was just where the, that was what the audiences wanted the and, year i graduated yeah. oh, i just gave away my age and sci-fi traditionally since 1977 with episode four new hope everybody wants these big action blockbusters that are space operas and space fantasies and but prior to Star Wars, sci-fi like 2001 or Stalker or Solaris were these slow-burning um, meditations on actual space exploration and the like. How would that be real? And it's not meant to you know like be a hero's journey. It's just you know a matter of fact. Mm. And this is sort of a return to that. And I don't think the audiences were really ready for it, but I think that they are now. Um, I think that it's prime for resurgence. The, like this, not. Besides the cast, who have all become, you know, like Murphy's about to come yeah. Oscar Gold. He's the uh, he's is, the nuclear bomb expert on the ship, and, and this now is he's pre Chris Evans being um, Captain America. I, are you allowed me to say it? Annoying. Yeah. yeah, totally. This is he is not annoying in this movie. He's actually very well cast, and and it was refreshing to see him before 
maybe kind of some of his modern choices of being an MCU guy. No, no offense. I'm not trying to hate. I'm not trying to hate MCU, but unfortunately, this podcast isn't really about talking about MCU movies. Sorry, guys. You might say, like we might reference it in terms of somebody's popularity, or say yeah. like you would know this person from that, like because he had been the Human Torch in Fantastic Four. Yeah, um, and like that was, was just not a very good movie because um, they didn't keep on doing it. But he was able to sort of, I guess, audition anyway. Like with what there's problems that have been reported on people's criticism of Sunshine is the third act, and I think a lot of that has to do with. There is a bit of a um, a WTF, like what what's happening with this now? All of a sudden, there's a villain. Yeah. yeah. Now let me tell you, it's an Alex Garland film, and like the third act in Alex Garland films, yeah, like you just need to. If, uh, I can't say enough. I, I love Alex Garland so much. He's like in my very top tier of filmmakers, but for very specific reasons, he does these kind of twists that are sort of unexpected or sort of like they zag hard left when you thought the whole film was going right. And so there's just a little bit of, you know, like it's, it takes a little bit of a turn, but it fits directly into the, like, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, Oh, they just made a bad choice. I mean, it was by design. Yeah. And I think because it took it from, you know, this sort of, serious rescue the earth operation into maybe more of a murder mystery for half an hour and but it it really for me it really fit i i like a film that does that like 2001 really did kind of the same thing like after dave bowman was not on the ship anymore yep it got very surreal got very weird and this kind of does like it doesn't go quite that far. It's not even as like I'm. It's daring, but it's not that daring. I, I didn't ruin it at all for me. In fact, it really made it better. Um, I liked the third act a lot. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind third third act at all. And I really liked the synergy between Boyle and Garland. Yeah, and and because they've, they've met together a couple times. We're talking about days Garland later. is of Ex Machina, Annihilation, twenty eight days later, uh, Men. Horror Men, great movie. We enjoyed that one. And uh, can't wait for his newest one that's going to be this year. The Civil War. Yeah, Civil War. He's got a great uh, television series um, called Devs as well. Really worth checking out. Uh, oh, I didn't goodness. know that that was him. Because I, so I, don't, I don't watch a lot of um, necessarily TV. It's um, like a good little six or eight I, I've heard good things about season. it. Oh, man, it's so good. If you like sci-fi, then I do, obviously. What, what next do you got? I'm going to next to go with a little Australian low-budget film called These Final Final Hours. Okay. And it's by a gentleman named Zach Hilditch. Um, It is an end-of-the-world kind of scenario. Obviously, These Final Hours uh, is referring to that humanity is about to be wiped out. Now, there was a similar movie not too long ago called Don't Look Up. That sort of tackled a uh, end of the earth, ex- you know, um, explosion, you know, t- wiping out life. Something mm. similar has happened in this film, but it just happens to be low budget with no actors uh, that you would have heard of. Um, and so, it, it essentially, it follows a guy. Um, and this takes all takes place in Perth, and he's le- he's with a he's with a woman who reveals that she's pregnant, and he leaves her to go to a party. And some things happen along the way, and he rescues a little girl, and Sarah Snooks in it. Um, I guess it's probably like the biggest draw for anybody yeah. that's like Succession fans. It's not a big part, but it's like a, a bonkers, insane part. And I, it, I know Angori Rice as well. Um, I think she was in Beguiled. She was in a Colin Farrell movie called Beguiled, but um, well, she's been in some of the Spider Man. She was in Nice Guys. Mean. She's in the newer Mean Girls as well. I've not seen any of those. Um, so the. Uh, like what they did on this really small budget. Like, I'll t- I'll say this: I don't think that the acting was really great, but it wasn't horrible. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't want like if you're a fan of acting, like Daniel Day Lewis, you're like you're not going to put this on. It's extremely low budget. They took credible actors that could yeah. pull it off. Um, but th- it's the premise. It's the I'm really impressed when somebody's got a super low budget and can do what this guy did on 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 a low budget film. Like I was. I was invested in what was going on. It sparked my imagination. I, like, I love dystopia. I love, uh, like, Lord of the Fly scenarios. Like, what happens when society descends, when there's nothing left to live for? Like, you've only got hours left to live. How do you uh, how do you spend your last hours on Earth? 
as a society, not just as a as an individual. Um, yeah, like it was really clever. I, I liked it a lot. Interesting. Props, um, props to Australia. Yeah. Was there, was it, how did you find it? Or I, how was it marketed to you? Because I've, yeah, I, had, I have not heard of the film. It was on, um, it was on Netflix. Um, I was searching for a, I was searching for a different film and it was uh, on the more like this tab. Yeah, okay. And so I was like, oh, well, that sounds cool. Uh, I've, like, I'm really trying to watch more Australian films uh, being here because if we're going to hit like the, any of the film festivals, I want to make sure that uh, I don't miss the next Rover. Now, I wouldn't put this on. This is nowhere close to that or okay. like the best Australian film I've ever seen. But like, I was oh, really, yeah. I was impressed by it. Yeah. Um, I, I I would love for people to see it so that this guy gets to make more films. I think he's um, like when we saw No One Will Ever Find Me. Yeah. You know, kind of that, um, that indie kind of vibe where you don't have anybody known, but there's just a really good energy about the, the film and the direction. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Excellent. I um I watched for the first time. We could even do uh, another podcast episode on uh, late to the game, but yeah. so glad to be here. That's totally. another episode we want to do where we're going to talk about movies, movies that have been either that are quite old or classics that. Oh, sorry, I just didn't, I've never seen it. <laughs> um, and this is Sexy Beast by Jonathan Glazer. And from 2000, from also, 2000, that's the main reason why late to the game. So it, it is an older film. I, I don't know how I missed it. I was not aware of the film, um, but we, we've been wanting to do Glazer because of the zone of interest 2024. Yeah. Um, winning a lot of the awards, a lot of nominations, and we're about to hit the Academy Awards and wondering what, where, what's going to happen here. Not released yet in Australia. It's about to come out. So we're really looking forward to Zone of Interest by him. Uh, but anyways, because of that, um, I wanted to get more Glazer in my life. And this is highly rated. Five star for me, man. <laughs> Five you. star for you. Yeah, oh, you. my God. I cannot tell you how much I love this movie. I, uh, I also don't know how I missed it. I don't know how. Not only do I not know how I missed it in 2000, I don't know how it's eluded me. For twenty three years, I, like it's it's insane. I have no idea how I've not heard about this film. Yeah, um, it is so, like it is a me movie through and through. It's got I, I I'm not do massive spoilers, but let me tell you, yeah. Ben Kingsley. You might think you know who Ben Kingsley is. <laughs> you might think you know what kind of roles Ben Kingsley plays. Let me tell you, he's the most intense dude ever to, to walk the earth. In this film, is like uh, I. If I had to cast a villain that scared the shit out of me, man, I'm casting Ben Kingsley. Man, Dude, this guy, like if you see brutal. this guy walking towards you, you should get into the fastest car you can find and go in the other direction. My goodness, the intensity level was like uh spinal tap. <laughs> Crazy. Well, this is all oh, the way man. all the way back in 2000, like we said. So it's it's an older movie, and even the cast, the the people you're really gonna know is Kingsley, but outside of that, it's got uh, Ray Winstone and Ian McShane; those were really the only people that I really knew that was in it. And they weren't really. Um, that might have been my just hadn't heard of those guys at that time because I don't think I saw Ray Winstone until The Departed or um, maybe even The Proposition. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, um, which is why it is such an interesting film because it is amazing. I was not aware of it. I wasn't aware about anything about it. It was a great watch. Uh, synopsis is just uh, Letterbox says the the idyllic life of a retired safecracker gal is put at risk when a psychotic gangster played by Kingsley <laughs> from his past arrives at his villa in southern Spain and intent on bringing him out of retirement for one last job. And that re that really is the synopsis. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it reminds me of what I like about Guy Ritchie totally. when Guy Ritchie is really good. I thoroughly, wholly, completely believe that this movie and Snatch are twin brothers. I, I was looking for Ritchie's name somewhere in it with what? Did he produce it? Co did he co-write it or anything like that? He, it's like, yeah. I, it's by Guy Ritchie's older 
smarter, wiser, more art house brother or his younger art house, independent, stronger filmmaker brother? Um, Are you calling out Guy Ritchie on the pod? I am. I'm saying Glazer whoops him. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Hot hot take by... You could say different weight class, but I'd say... Hot take by Lord Marcus. Pound for pound, Glazer is a better director than Guy Ritchie for me. Um, You know, Guy Ritchie might be a little bit of a heavyweight, but he's made a couple misses. And I don't think that Glazer really has... uh, in my opinion, I don't think he's got a miss in him. I think he's just going to, he yeah. might not en- end up making as many films, but I don't think he's ever going to take those big studio uh, paycheck pictures. Um, I think he'd be just as happy going out like Kubrick did. He's more like a Kubrick director. I would say you watch this movie if you are in the mood for a Guy Ritchie film and um, you're in the mood for a good Guy Ritchie film and. Uh, like I, I, Mrs. B was home when I watched this and had it on in the background. It's not, it's not overly dark or anything like that or, or too crazy. I, there is a lot of language, a lot language warning, but what is semi funny is it is that UK gangster. So it's UK gangster language. And there's something that is just comedic about it. In the performances and the absurdity of Ben Kingsley, I don't think I don't think Australians would be offended. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think there's a large swath of Americans yeah. that uh, might be like, you know, what, so what did we're, he we're just signing say? off on it, of going, this is a great movie. We enjoyed it. You should watch it. I use but the, I, I, I use am saying <laughs> you need to be aware of, you know, this isn't the movie that you're thrown on to watch with maybe your teenage boy. Yeah, maybe put some Bluetooth uh, headphones on um, so the kids don't hear. But outside of that, that that was a um, that was a good that's a good guys night movie or a yeah I I enjoyed it uh, it was it was good to have something a bit more um, well actually a hundred percent more light hearted than any other film that I've watched recently and and if you liked the gentleman I I'd say you'd like this movie for sure yeah totally all right next what do up, you got only God forgives amazing okay awesome you watched this recently. Yes. Directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Yep. Starring the master, Ryan Gosling. And this is uh, After Drive, from this my understanding. This is After Drive, yes. The, the next film after. And so same, he, same director, same actor. Yeah, same lead actor, which is... Um, yeah, uh, talk, talk to me about the film, but it was it is interesting that it is um, Gosling and it is right after Drive. Now it's um, from 2013. One of the nice things about this that really drew me in is like I'm trying to find these like little 90 minute movies, so sometimes I can fit in three or four day. Yeah, a good tight film. Yeah, and I could just take like a natural break, and so I saw this. And it's only 90 minutes. I'm like, oh man, a good 90 minute film, right on. Um, the synopsis as according to Letterboxd: Time to meet the devil. Julian, who runs a Thai boxing club as a front organization for his family's drug smuggling operation, is forced by his mother, Crystal, to find and kill the individual responsible for his brother's recent death. Nice. Now, I would say that this, if you like Drive, obviously you would you would like this film. Because yeah. Because it's it's, it inhabits the same universe of vibe. It's um, more brutal than Drive, I reckon. Yeah, totally. Uh, the uh, the machete welding swordsman that uh, dehands people is a little. Uh, it's kind of Tarantino ish, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But if you like uh, the show or the movie Animal Kingdom, that this is very similar, and the fact that there's sort of a matriarch, um, an older matriarch that takes and puts um, everybody into line, and she's like she's like the real boss. And I just found myself like I I loved that I loved this movie. If it had had Ellen Barkin as the mother, it would have been five star for me. Like because the rest of it's that good. And the um, not that it was a bad performance from anybody. I've just Ellen Barkin in the show Animal Kingdom sort of feels to me like the only person that can really do like hot seventy year old um still mesmerizing owns the screen kind of presence and Ryan Gosling just wasn't sort of met by anybody else as as far as the 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 acting talent 
didn't really need it because the directing was so good. The script was so good. Um, there wasn't a lot of dialogue from Ryan Gosling in this, so it was just more of him yeah, sort of brooding. But yeah, it's like, not it dialogue shows, heavy. Sh- shows his dynamic range. It's like he still sold it. Like Stone Cold Classic, four and a half for me. Um, I really liked it a lot. But if you've been to Thailand, you know, like I like these movies that take place in some place that I, that I've been, particularly like overseas. It just sort of helps transport me there um, and relive it again. But I also just like it become a little more immersive. Like I know what the sights and the sounds and the smells are. And I thought it showed a really, um, they, they picked good locations from Thailand. Yeah. I've seen this recently as well. And uh, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I enjoyed the film. I think it's better than, than a lot of people said it is. Um, I think, I think people wanted it to be a lot more of an, a mainstream film because of Gosling and where he was heading, heading with his arc of his career. But, um, I love I love Nicholas Winding Refn as um, as a director. He's he's got some pretty good wins on the board, and this is an enjoyable. It, it's a it's a bit more out there um, than Sexy Beast on terms of violence, um, but it's another good it's, it's another kind of a, good guy film. But it's kind of absurd violence. Yeah, which like I think we've already touched on. I like absurdity, and when it it doesn't take itself too seriously, like it's a serious, but when it gets absurd, it's not like oh, the, this has just gotten corny. It's absurd without being campy. I think. Well, I uh, I watched Spencer, nice, from Pablo Lorraine, who does some pretty good biopics because he's done this. Uh, he's also done. Uh, Jackie, which I have watched recently as well. Um, and this is the story of Princess Diana leading up to her death. It It's not a story about her death, but it's almost like her uh, final years and maybe her lens of living that life and how she is viewed by everybody around her whether it's from the queen all the way down to the help. It's almost shot with tinges of surrealism, like are we in her dream? And almost almost horror-ish, but that is because of the soundtrack, which is incredible by our favorite Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead fame. Let's knight him too. Yeah, Sir, Sir Johnny, Johnny Greenwood. Greenwood. And the the soundtrack for me really makes the film, um, starring Kristen Stewart. I, I guess she makes the film one hundred percent. Under her is the score. Um, but like, what's incredible is it's a one-two punch. It's a hundred percent one-two punch. The, and the what's incredible is seeing Kristen Stewart, who is not from the UK, play Princess Diana. And I, uh, you are, you're transported and you buy it. Like it's, it's incredible. Her performance is incredible. And the cinematography. The best, best I've seen for somebody uh, doing Princess Diana. The, the framing of the story. I, I think it, it suffered in maybe the ending. I think the ending could have been tighter and better. I'd, I'm not sure if it was landed where I would want to land the plane. Uh, so I didn't give it a full five. Um, I, felt I gave me, it a four and a half. I felt for me, because I recently um, watched this for the first time as well. Um, I maybe on your recommendation. Thank you. Because uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I There was moments of it that I absolutely loved. And I just thought to myself, uh, so um, it sort of examines Princess Diana, uh, her mental health and... Uh, like the way that the director is describing it, like some of the scenes are getting into some of the mental health issues. Yeah. And you sort of see the world through her eyes. It's not necessarily reality. It's just sort of maybe, I don't want to say hallucination, but let's just say hallucination. Yeah. And the hallucination It's sequence, very dreamlike, surreal. Yeah, very dreamlike. Those sequences for me were so beautiful. If I could have gotten that entire film like that where you were just always questioning what was real and what was not. I like mm-hmm. f- when it did that and made you question what was real and what was not. That was the ingredients for a five star film for me. And it didn't do enough of that. It only did, uh, like, it just had splashes of it, and, and, like, enough that it was really, and the rest of it was really good. Um, 
Yeah, but but again, yeah, to touch on the Johnny Greenwood, um, Sir Johnny, man, he again, yeah, you're right when you say that it sort of gave it a horror vibe just because, like, any the the soundtrack will sort of dictate what you think the genre is, and exactly. it's just this slow, creaky, and eerie, and minor chords, and um, yeah, like it, it like like a horror score. Um, Which but, one's better? There will be blood. Mm. Or Spencer's soundtrack. Well, I'd have to like honestly. I would have. To, <laughs> I'd have to go with the Spencer soundtrack because there will, there will be blood has the great cinematography, the great directing, the great acting. Like, it has all these other things. Spencer is nowhere near that. The music makes it so much the, better. Yes. Yeah, like the yeah. music matches the mastery of there will be blood, but it elevates uh, Spencer to a, a stratosphere that it would not have achieved without it. You know, or in lesser hands would have maybe not even been. Um, anywhere near as good boom yeah uh spencer good pick yeah great film and and uh director as well has made some great films like i said the spencer he's even done el condi as well did you end up watching that yeah totally okay yeah. that's on my watches i haven't seen it it's it I, i've been hearing it's been hit or miss but we we won't talk about that um what do you have next my next one um last one for the evening mr luca guadagino Nice. A bigger splash. So uh, he's his, he's more up your alley than me. He is coming out with um, challengers, which you got in your anticipation draft. Yeah, which you stole uh, from me, like uh, all these other. Well, it, we have been talking about drafts, and um, this is one that I'm famously hanging on to, but possibly for you for trading. So yeah, yeah, right just on. just remember, uh, it's up there. It's right up on. there, kind of for grabs. Anyway, so the director, he's um, he's known for a couple other films, uh, Call Me By Your Name, uh, Bones and All. Yeah, and both with Timothy Chalamet. Both he, with he Timothy Chalamet. Really well. Yeah, uh, they've got a really great relationship. Um, this one, now, I'm a massive fan of Tilda Swinton. Like, I am yeah. a massive fan of Tilda Swinton. We share, we share mutual love for her. I like Ralph Fiennes. Yes, um, agreed. I, not... I've never really been sold on Dakota Johnson, but with that said, uh, she was really good in this. I probably, I, I know she was cast in the 50 shades movies that I've never seen. Um, and so maybe I gave her a bad rap because she was casting that, but I, uh, Jamie Dornan, I've watched his other things and I, like, I love the, uh, the actors. So she's in this, she was in Suspiria and, yes. um, yeah. I wasn't familiar with the other gentleman that was in it, but the, uh, the premise of the story is as follows a gentleman is not one to reveal all of his secrets that's what i'm saying about myself <laughs> an american couple paul and marianne spend their vacation in italy and experiences trouble when the wife invites a former lover and his teenager daughter uh, teenage daughter to visit which leads to jealousy and dangerous sexual scenarios which Guadagnino likes to go there as well. Not not as out there as um, Yorgos Lanthimos, maybe in his sexual themes, but no, I think he's like he's not. Um, you know, he is a European filmmaker as well. He's Italian, yeah. And there's something about the European sense about you know, like the way that they tackle anything about sex or um, infidelity is just completely different than Americans or Australians or. Um, our English society. With that said, um, this film was great. And I would say that like Ralph Fiennes did a bit of a Ben Kingsley study, he had this super, like, really? You, you think you know, like Voldemort and uh, the English patient and, you know, he's, you, he's done some great films. Are you telling me that Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast is Ralph Fiennes in a bigger splash? That's how good Ralph Fiennes is in this movie. I am not going to go as far as to say that he equals Ben Kingsley's, but I'm but saying I, okay. I think he's I think he studied the role. Yeah, and let's say this: if your expectation of Ben Kingsley prior to Sexy Beast and then saw that, <laughs> then yes, I would say this: Ralph Fiennes has done a Ben Kingsley. You would never expect him to do this crazy. Uh, yeah, he's. He's like an old record executive, and so he just knows a lot about music. And he's just always high and coked up, and he's just okay. and he's just like he he's it's 
as intense of a performance. It's just not as brutally violent, but I would yeah. say it's a very intense performance. Um, and he was Tilda Swinton's former um, lover that, um, yeah. And so their chemistry with each other and the friction of him sort of being introduced in his life and the jealousy and what, you know, but everybody's complicit and, uh, Dakota Johnson's being really seductive. Like, it's a very, I would say it examines seduction and the consequences of seduction. Yeah. Um, it, like, it's definitely a, a, a drama slash thriller. Um, it, Interesting I'll, that it's thriller because this is on my watch list. I've not, I've not seen it, but. I'm really surprised. It's on SBS On Demand. And again, I like I hadn't really known about it, but I wanted to do a dive into his filmography. Man, I really, like, I was surprised. I shouldn't be surprised because it's Tilda Swinton. And it's him and um, Guadagnino and um, and Ralph Fina. I love all the cast. I guess there just wasn't a lot of exposure to it, and it's um, from 2015. So um, I, I don't know how I missed it, but as I was doing this deep dive and I was watching it, the Ralph Fiennes performance really delivered it for me. Like, it, yeah, I will favorably compare it to Ben Kingsley and uh, and, and sort of the intensity level because you think Ralph Fiennes is like you know this calm little guy, like the dude from uh, the James Bond films, and he's quaint and he drinks tea. <laughs> and this guy is not that. Like, he's just uh, he's a raging beast. Um, yeah, but I I really enjoyed it. I I recommend it to anybody that's in for like just a good, um, yeah. It's R-rated for sure. There's lots of language. There's, um, I don't think there's much. There might be a little he can be a bit, ex- he's, you're going into his movies knowing he can go extremes because Suspiria is a, is an extreme film at moments. So is Bones and All. Yeah. Yeah. The, the writing is good. Like I, I've, I've watched a bunch of his movies. He's not really a, he's not a Mr. B director. It's not an offensive thing towards him. Like I will watch, I'll watch this movie because I I'll, so, I do want so to take it off on, my list. On future drafts, are yeah. his films safe for me to put towards the end? Well, I, that's why I told you, I, <laughs> yeah, if I've got challengers, I'm sure you'll want to trade me for them because they'll be, they're more up your alley than me. And yeah, right it's on. kind of one of those, if that's, a, that is, a, he is 100% a Lord Marcus brand yeah, director totally. where mm-hmm. I go, if you're Mr. B and you're going, is Mr. B going to watch this film? Yeah, I'm going to, but it's probably not going to be a movie where I'm going to be like, hey, everybody, you should watch this. Otherwise, you'll be like, Mr. B, are you okay? Yeah, totally. It is one of those things. It's like, oh, do you need a hug? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, okay, this takes us to our last film, Boom. Um, which we both watched together, actually, Midnight Run. Midnight Run. By Martin Brest. Starring... You know Starring Bob, Bobby Boy, Sir Bob, Sir Bob De Niro, young younger Bob. Mm-hmm. You know, what and was it's a comedy. Though? It was interesting. Was that I, there was something about I, I? I kind of feel like Michael Mann just said, "Hey, be the dude that you were in Midnight Run," because like the facial expressions, like it's, it's different when Scorsese's directing him. They, there's Robert De Niro that's directed by Scorsese, and then there's Robert De Niro that's directed by everybody else. And I feel that Scorsese is the only one that could get this big dynamic range out of him. And uh, it, it was just interesting. I kind of felt like I was watching um, Heat for at, at moments with his facial expressions and the exact tone of his voice and uh, maybe even some of the, the lines of dialogue. This is, I mean, this is... Uh, classic film that we would talk about in late to the game totally. this movie is from 1988 my birth year <laughs> and we love de niro martin breast incredible uh meet joe black beverly hills cop he's he's done he, <laughs> Let's not talk about Gigli. Uh, <laughs> now I didn't scent know of they, a woman. I didn't know that he had done Beverly Hills Cop when we watched it. I didn't know about it when I logged my review, and I didn't know about it when we were discussing. Uh, but I, I compared it to Beverly Hills Cop. I was like, yeah, I think four, part of which it, was four years earlier. This so that was eighty four. The soundtrack would sort of reminded me of it, but also yeah. that it had this sort of eighties action but not heavily action, like sort of a drama that had some action in it. It just really reminded me of Beverly Hills Cop. And it turns out dude directed Beverly Hills Cop. So yeah. a, b- a bit of an auteur, you know, like for between those two movies. I, and it, I liked it a lot. 
Charles Grodin. It's yeah. a comedy action film. Buddy and com- it nails that. Buddy it, comedy too. Yeah. Uh, De Niro, Grodin. Uh, we, we've got Joe Pantoliano is in it as well. Which, Man, he was so good. Uh, um, I, I don't know why I have never watched this movie. I don't either. I don't know how I missed it because I was like, that was uh, just like Sexy Beast. Like, that was my thing. Like, uh, I guess I, I just started high school uh, at that time. So maybe girls kept me from it. But man, I worked at a movie theater. So, like, I, I just don't, man, yeah, I'm confused how I missed it. But it, yeah. I'm, I'm, as we say, late to the game, but so happy to be here. Yeah, it takes the whole cop comedy premise. And and makes makes it what you want out of those movies. It's I it probably so one of the best. I mean, basic premise is De Niro's character is playing, and this is what I like about it, a bail bondsman. So he's not a cop in this one. And this is still early 80s setting up what we now know of. Well, he was a bounty hunter. The bail, uh, Joe, Joey Pants was the bail bondsman. Um, De Niro was the bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah. So bail bondsman, bounty hunter, um, and they're chasing, they're trying to chase down Grodin's character who has stolen money, is a former accountant for the mob. He didn't know he was working for the mob. And when he did, he ends up taking a bunch of this mummy, money, (laughs) mummy, and disappearing and uh, supposedly using this money for good. But anyways, they're tracking him down because he stole some money. And, and hilarity ensues because they're trying to get Grodin back by Friday and they've only got, I think they say five days to do it. And so it's kind of this cross country road trip and it's almost like watching planes, trains and automobiles as a cop movie. That's maybe the best way to describe it of tone, humor and the mateship and cross country. It's, it's hilarious it does have a re- it did have an earlier record for most f words uh i think at 119 so that that is one thing you have to be aware of but with the casting cuz we also get um Dennis Farina oh my is god in it. if you like snatch or get shorty <laughs> it, man it's, it's that dude doesn't act he just is himself he <laughs> is himself and he gives you what you want in this movie and all these all the just like plane trains on automobiles and these cop comedies, the language is used in jest. So you have to, it's said in a funny way, but at the same time, if your kids are around, it's not, it's not the cop comedy to watch with your kids. There there is a lot of F bombs in it. Totally. But it is for me, it is the funniest cop style comedy that I've seen. That I'm that's what I'm gonna say. And I and I've seen I wanna say I've seen all of the classics. This this still beats maybe Lethal Weapon for me. This this would beat this beat out Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Yeah. This I, this I've, beat out um I've not you thought keep about going where... down the line all the uh, the modern twenty one or twenty two, twenty well, how many jump streets there are. I I let me say, I, I I would find it hard to compare against Beverly Hills Cop because I've seen Beverly Hills Cop at least like twenty times, and I would need to watch this a fair amount of times to like really absolutely say for sure. Yeah, same director. I'm, so I might be able to say with Lethal Weapon because I don't think Lethal Weapon's particularly aged well. Um, but that's unfortunately probably more due to Gibson than the film aging. No, I don't. I, I don't know because I still love the Road Warrior. You know, like it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, Midnight Run, massive, a big thumbs up for me. Midnight Run, Lord Marcus approved. Fun, fun film. And this was, this is a funny film when you need something lighthearted again in your life and nostalgic. It doesn't even have to be nostalgic if you even listen to other people talk about this film that have seen it and love it. Even the guys at Big Pick, I think rewatchable. Simmons talked about like it's a kind of movie that. It ages well because make this movie today and it would still be just as funny. Play those roles and those parts again and it's just as funny. It 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 doesn't age and you can't be offended by it being a 1988 film and looking the way that it does and the soundtrack is is that cheesy 80s vibe, but it's a classic soundtrack. The I mean 
It hits the era. It hits every note properly. It's lean and mean and friggin' hilarious. I just say this that if you had like if Johnny Greenwood had done the soundtrack or something like, had that Johnny Greenwood style of soundtrack instead of yeah. those, uh, uh, the 80s bop synthesizer score and then you release this movie in 1995 and you just make some slight alterations man this is on par with like casino and heat and seven it's just like that the soundtrack totally helps it lean into the comedy side more but like you said it is the acting is so good and so is the storyline that you could you could turn it into a different film depending on the soundtrack yeah i really liked it a lot big score for me great movies well hopefully tonight we've given you some options of something that you could watch next these are all i've bought some of these even on apple tv because i didn't have them on on my different streaming services but if you can find any of these films we think they're worth their weight in gold they're worth your time really depending on the mood that you're in but we've given you some options for dramas and for comedies we we've given you 80s films we've given we've given you modern recent films 2000s you've got a couple options with sci-fi and we've watched a lot of great movies this week it's and last a, week yeah it's been a good run i'm happy i would say if you have um if you need any assistance in finding uh the proper service to find this on just shoot us um a dm on instagram at yeah, the, film, at the yeah. film dogs yep or Facebook as well, Film Dogs. Um, we want to hear from you. Send us through even options of what you want us to talk about or other movies you maybe want us to review or what our thoughts are on or ideas on episodes. We, we're pretty happy with our kind of four-episode format at the moment. I've talked about watch lists and doing drafts of our favorite years, also doing uh, short reviews for movies that are recent releases and then kind of on the fourth week we've got kind of a a wild card where we've got a few different options where we'd like to do uh, potential interviews or have guests on it um, and also do deep dives as well on specific films but hopefully you're enjoying this send us send us some love online thanks for listening because remember life is too short for bad cinema <laughs>